Welcome back to the fourth and final part of our series Filmmaker Above Suspicion, Sex, Death and Politics in the Films of Elio Petri. So join me Kat Ellinger and my co-host Sam Deegan as we conclude our retrospective looking at Petri's sexy comic stab at capitalism, 1973's Property is No Longer a Theft, which features Daria Nicolodi in one of her sexiest roles. We also look at 1976's Todo Modo, which sees Marcello Mastriani and Gian Maria Volante return to go head-to-head as priest and prime minister. And finally, we look at the hilarious study of male insecurity, Petri's final film, Good News, made in 1979. Welcome back to our fourth and final episode looking at the career of director Elio Petri and we're very sad today. Lots of crying. Lots of crying because we can't believe it's over. Yeah, I don't, I mean, we've done these sort of longer retrospectives before, but I don't know, this one, it feels so much more personal. Like, we both got so much more attached. Yeah, it's been really good. I mean, we crammed, and obviously when we recorded these, we did these over a couple of weekends, and it's been all Elio Petri for like two weeks, which is what we usually do. But I don't know, I've really, really enjoyed this one. I'm going to be sad to see it go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think maybe it's because it's a subject that hasn't gotten a lot of attention. And I mean, we always try to go for that. But I think this is sort of above and beyond even Jowski, who I feel like people have seen more of his films than Petri's films outside of Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. Well, somebody said earlier on, um, on Facebook, actually, because... I posted a couple of stills from the first film that we're going to talk about, Property is No Longer a Theft, just saying how hard the films were to get hold of. And, I mean, they are out there to get, obviously, because we've watched them. Yeah. So you can find them. But I don't know. I've been dying to do this, not necessarily a podcast, but I reviewed a couple of films a few years ago and then it was something I was meant to return to because... I mean, like you said, nobody seems to bother with him. So it was something in me, this sort of desire to, you know, we could have done Fellini or we could have done Pasolini or we could have done one of the more well-known directors, but we chose not to. Yeah, that would seem unfair. Like, I, I think we do a lot of, we do a lot of writing for Diabolique over a wide range of subjects, but it seems like for the podcast, we've really tried to focus on people or films who are ignored. And I can't think of anybody more ignored than he is, at least in that sort of general genre art house umbrella for Italian films. Yeah, I really hope that changes sometime soon. I mean, I know with home video and stuff and things being restored and everything, you know, it does sort of get some interest. So you know, hopefully that's going to change in the near future. I really hope so, because 
you know, it's been such a joy doing these episodes. I've enjoyed it. And we've probably, you know, given a bit too much away of ourselves. <laughs> no, never. I mean, we told some really personal stories on those Jorowski episodes. <laughs> yeah, I suppose we did. Yeah, but I don't know. Like you said, this feels even more personal. And of course, I've disgraced myself over Marcello, but I've got no regrets there. Yeah, no regrets for displaying the the depth of my Jean-Maria Volante love, which is, you know, bottomless. And they're both back today I together. Know. <laughs> I'm so excited. Tu no me ami più. No. Sei tu che non mi ami più. So, they're not in the first film. The first film is 1973's property is no longer a theft. Now, this film didn't do very well with critics at all, and this was one of these films that set Petri on a bit of a downturn. Um, when it was originally screened, so it was supposed to have gone to Venice Film Festival... And there was a protest that year against the festival. So um, some directors and actors and film people set up this sort of protest festival that was out in a in a city square where everyone attended and they showed the films that would have gone to Venice, um, which they called uh, Gornati del Cinema. Um, and it, this was shown there, but the critics absolutely hated it, which I don't get because... Me neither. I said on... No, I said on the last episode, like Lulu the Tall or The Working Class Go to Heaven, was my favourite Petri, and this is a close second. But like I said on that episode, I love them all. But this one especially, because it's so absurd and funny. And of course, <laughs> Darian Nicolodi. Yes. It's funny how we have such different favorites. Like I, I was saying on the last episode that I think my two favorites are Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion and We Still Kill the Old Way. But I think it might be a three-way tie with Toto Moto, which we're going to talk about next. So it's just kind of interesting the overlapping themes yeah. like between your favorites and my favorites. Yeah. But I, I mean, do love this. brilliant. Yes. And I, I'm that sad that I once told Daria Nicolodi on Twitter that I loved her in this. Did you really? <laughs> I did. Daria Nicolodi's on Twitter and it is actually her. This was a couple of years ago and she just, she was lovely. She was really gracious about it, but probably thought, well, my God, someone's actually seen that film by a reaction. She said she loved being in it. So, um, And she's it, so that, great in it. It's such a different so side great. of her. It is. I can't wait to talk about her. Um, the plot. So this was, it's a bit of an absurd plot, but then a lot of them are. So the basic premise is you have this young man played by the wonderful Flavio Bucci. Yes. Um, and he is more, he's probably known to cult fans. He was the blind guy in Suspiria. And he was also one of the nasty rapists from Night Train Murders. Um, so he plays Total, although like all Petri films, you only ever seem to hear the women's names. Have you noticed that? Yeah, that that's something that I was thinking about a lot 
as I was watching in particular these last three, it just it's sort of like he gave up on protagonist names and really kind of put an emphasis on the fact that that doesn't even matter. It, it's it also reminds me of Kafka a lot. Yeah, and he sort of, and it does get confusing. When we get to Todd and Modo, it gets deeply confusing, but he uses subs people's names for job titles a lot, which I think we mentioned in the last episode. So even though that's his name, you rarely hear it. In fact, I don't think I remember hearing his name uttered at all. I don't think it is. So I don't know. That's just what he's credited at, but you don't actually hear it in the film. But you do hear her name, Augusta, quite a lot because they like to say the women's names over and over. <laughs> <laughs> it's another thing that I've noticed. Going and back to Adam, Jesus. In the best way possible. <laughs> so he's this, like, bank cashier, and he's he's allergic to money, or he can't touch money. It sort of gives him, breaks out in a, in a rash. And he works in this bank, but he's poor. He lives with his dad, who's like the wonderful Salvo Randoni. Again, oh, God, he's so good. He's so good in this. Uh, he lives with his dad and he's poor and he works in this bank and he he doesn't like money and he so there's this butcher who's paid by the the also wonderful Ugo Tognazzi who was in um some Marco Ferreri films including La, La Grande Bouffe oh my god I he's, a, he's in everything he's, he's in Portugal so he's in Barbarella he's just, He's just so good. Um, he's this butcher, this sort of many-obsessed, nasty, sort of greedy bastard who comes into the bank and blackmails the bank that he'll move his money if, if they don't do as they ask. So Total goes to his boss one day and asks for a, a loan because he thinks, you know, he needs more money to live on. And he's basically told because he doesn't own property that he he can't have a loan. Um so he's he just reach reaches breaking point, sets fire to a banknote in front of his shop boss and resigns and becomes this thief. So the main premise is he is a comedy, it's sort of a black comedy. He basically just steals from this butcher in this weird game just to get at him. Like sneaks into his house, nicks his butcher's knife, his girlfriend, and it gets more and more fucking absurd as it goes along. And um, that's basically it. But it was apparently it was Petri. So Petri had this idea that all actors are like thieves, like they take on a different persona and they steal. And so that's what he started with. But then he wanted this to be his ode to the fact that many burns. And I think there's an actual quote, which I don't have from the from the film where one of the characters sort of says that many it rots you from the inside and it and it and it's an illness and it so that's one of his sort of key themes but he just sort of does it in a really funny absurd way with this one when this guy just can't stop stealing stuff from this butcher who's getting more and more irate it's so good (laughs) (laughs) it's it's so funny because not only investigation, but these last three films, they all have these sort of themes of sickness, plague, infection, disease that comes from money and power. And yeah. he uses it, I think he uses it here and in Taromado. Of course, it's complete a complete opposite way there, but he uses it in such brilliant ways. And it's almost like he took that antagonistic kind of sadomasochistic relationship from investigation and turned it on its head and made it even more absurdist and comic here. 
because there really is no reason for him to be antagonizing the butcher so much i, I mean but he is <laughs> he, he's just so good so it starts off he sneaks into this butcher's shop this is the sort of catalyst for this game to start and it's not a butcher's shop it's more like a fucking art gallery it's, it's like it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing it's like got all these like marble walls and you've got the butcher ugo who's like on this sort of podium cutting up flesh <laughs> like he's some sort of artist with all these old biddies stood around watching him and daria nicolodi sort of his receptionist and his girlfriend who he's practically bought un kilo e due per cortesia potrebbe ripesarmi qua la carne e perché? Perché io ho letto un chilo ottanta grammi e non chilo duetti. Io non la ripeso. Se la vo so tre mila e otto. Se deve fidare. Ma perché? So tre mattine che io a lei a controllo. E lei non dà mai alla bilancia il tempo di fermarsi. So he sneaks in and while Ugo's doing his thing, he steals his knife. <laughs> and there's a lot of like creeping around or he's like always there spying on them and just... Um, and just sort of creeping around the background. So he, the guy's doing this thing and he steals his knife. So this is what kicks it off. He's like, where's my knife? And the whole crowd like, I don't know. And he's, he's sort of gone off with it. And <laughs> he's, um, it just, it starts off so silly and it just gets even sillier from there. And there's like a slogan on the wall of this butcher shop. Man is a carnivorous animal, which was a nice touch i loved that i love the food mm. themes not very nice if you're vegetarian like we are though with all the pig's heads no but i i think it just works really well uh, he's like the the fact that he brings these suitcases so it starts off in the beginning the butcher comes to the bank to make a deposit and you get the sense right away that he, some of his money has been earned illegally and mm. he's bribing the people at the bank by giving them these nice cuts of meat. But he has this fucking suitcase that looks like, or briefcase rather, that looks like it should be full of, of money that's full of meat. <laughs> and, and that sort of shows up again and again throughout the film where it's like he slaps this fancy briefcase on the counter, opens it up and starts handing out steaks. <laughs> I don't know why, but I love that. Oh, it's so good. So I love. So he 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 takes the knife, and then and then he doesn't. Uh, the butcher doesn't actually realize what's happened. But the but the next it's the next case of theft, which is like <laughs> well, he it's keeps like upping the ante. <laughs> yeah. So he so we find out quite quickly. We've got, it's got these corruption themes in it. Obviously, as Sam just said, and many corrupts. And this butcher. There's this whole thing in there of who's actually the thief. So you've got Total, who's like this powerless young man. His dad's a widower. They they live in poverty. And so he just takes because he thinks, well, why should they be allowed to, to own? But the butcher is like, you know, he's invested money in slum housing. He employs all his workers illegally and he doesn't pay their social security. And he's got all these tax, tax dodge things going on. So there's a get I think we mentioned this a couple of episodes ago there's no real distinction between good and bad again all the characters are sort of 
flawed and driven by ego. Because I think with Total, part of it is this ego thing that keeps him trying to one-up on the butcher. It's <laughs> like he's showing off. So, so <laughs> the second act of theft is like absolute genius. So Daria Nicolodi's like his girlfriend, Anita, who's this trophy girlfriend. She was waitressing. You get this idea that he sort of bought her with his wealth. She's a lot younger <laughs> than him, a lot taller than him. <laughs> yeah, and... so that's why I just laughed. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, the butcher takes her to this seedy porn theatre and basically gets her to wank him off. And she's I like, oh, I don't want so to much. do I don't want to do this. You know, why do you make me do this? He's like, just get on with it. And and so Total sneaks in behind them while the butcher's, you know, being jerked off by Daria <laughs> and steals his hat off his head <laughs> <laughs> while it's happening and then just sneaks out again. It's so <laughs> You just have to wonder how on earth they came up with this. So he's got his hat and he's got his knife. And then the third and so the third thing is he breaks into the butcher's house with this stocking on his face, looking like a Jallo killer, stocking on his face, Ugo Tognazzi's hat on and this butcher's knife. And he holds up, he holds up Daria Nickelodeon, like the maid or the PA or whatever she is, this woman's there. And it's so amazing when he comes in and she, she screams, but in this like really completely berserk sort of <laughs> inappropriate way inappropriate, it doesn't make any sense laughing and <laughs> <laughs> sort of half laughing and half screaming and just like really manically going fucking berserk I, this is one of her best roles, I think, Daria. Oh, it definitely is. <laughs> we touched on this with when we talked about Citizen and Florinda Balkan, but Daria Nicolodi for Argento was so sort of miscast. Oh, with these horrible little twee haircuts, no makeup, and these quite androgynous. Or mom makeup, even yeah, worse. Like, she's given in Tenebrae. It makes me so angry. To Like, I, I love her, and Tenebrae is one of my favorite Argeno films, but she's just so ingratiating, and she's made to wear the most unflattering clothing. It's like... No, why? Why? Well, in this, she's amazing. She's so sexy. She's like completely made up. She's got these big, lush red lips, mini skirts or hot pants on, sort of big high heels. You wouldn't think it was the same actress. And the way she acts, she's just so sort of untamed and carnal and sexual in a way that you've don't you don't see her in anything else. And 
yeah, she's really unrestrained. Like she kind of wanders into this territory like a tiny bit in deep red, but here it's so over the top and unapologetic. I, I love it. She does, So he comes in and he, and he sort of, he rips her jewels off and she screams when he takes the jewels. She pulls her necklace off and that, but then he starts touching her up between her legs and she's all into that. She's like, oh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, she she stops she stops panicking and then only starts panicking again when he takes his hand away. <laughs> so good. Um and so it starts this sort of strange sort of dynamic between her and Total starts from there. It's almost like a weird romantic comedy and then it's not and you get the feeling that she's excited by this young man that's come into their lives and she doesn't really get a lot of excitement from the butcher who disturbs this burglary going on and then decides a total gets away obviously and she sort of almost helps him get away don't you right it's almost like she she sort of helps him get away and so the butcher decides they're just going to do an insurance scam he doesn't care that his girlfriend's just been sexually assaulted by no not at all <laughs> and to add insult to injury, just so you know, he's a real rotter um, and on the same theme of Daria Nicolodi. So this is the only film I've ever seen her do full frontal nudity and really intense sex scenes in. Um, yes, and they're all fantastic. But that scene where she puts the stocking, yes. so not too long <laughs> after the robbery, she find, it, this is like half an hour after the robbery is over. Well, maybe it's right after the police have left, but she finds his stocking that he put over his face and puts it over her face and makes a joke, like turns it into a joke. But then it immediately turns into a sex scene where he makes her tell him that she's the robber. <laughs> she's astride him, like completely naked with this stocking on her face. And the look on her face is insane while she's sort of riding him and and she's it's so it's so <laughs> insane and, and this, this is, is really <laughs> perverse and strange a ladro strilla ladro a ladro più forte a ladro più forte a ladro a ladro a ladro sì ancora a ladro a ladro Un ladro. Anzi, un uomo che non ruba i soldi. È una normale. È capace di tutto. But they they definitely have this weird thing about so we, we mentioned this with Adelgisa, how in Lasasino he says her name over and over again. In this movie, if you played a drinking game where you had to take a sip of a drink every time someone said Iladro, which is the thief, you would be dead by the end <laughs> of the movie because for people find reasons to say it for no apparent reason. Well, she she's <laughs> screaming it out. It's sexual yeah. a lot of it's the time. Sexual. Yes. She's like, he's making her scream it out and she looks absolutely insane with this stocking on her head and her eyes. <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, it's... <laughs> So, you know, it, it sort of continues from there. That's like the most sort of normal bits of it because then it, then 
So the so the butcher decides, oh well, this is this is no good. I'm going to get these security measures. You get this really bonkers, really abstract scene where they go to visit this security, um, or what would you call it, like a show or a convention or something, where they've got these. It's so I don't even understand. It's so weird. It it almost it looks like some sort of like The Price is Right, except it's not a live broadcast. It's but it does have this weird pageant feel. Yeah, they feel. go into this. They, so they go into this whatever it is, like an exhibition center. They've got these doors set up, and it's got this brilliant subtext about how property is more important than human life. So this guy who's like you said, yeah, like the price is right. He's like a salesman, is demonstrating all this <laughs> stuff, like these doors you can't break into, and then this, and then they've got a car there. They're like the ultimate defense for this car. And this guy comes out looking like Danger Diabolic in this leather ensemble and playing a thief gets in the car and a poison gas emits. The thief gets locked in the car and the thief gets killed, gassed to death. And there's this really weird sort of perverse, macabre carnival atmosphere. And the way it's shot as well is really weird. It's like really just, I don't know how to describe it. And just with the framing and the it's, doors it's and lots very... of weird neon lights and lots of like the black background, which he also uses. So I don't think we've said this yet, but he has these weird, I think there are maybe four of them in the whole film, these weird scenes where characters will show up yeah. with a totally black background and they'll talk to the camera and kind of narrate things about their life. I and love it's... the monologues. I love them. They're yeah. just a really nice touch, and they look right into the camera as well and break the fourth wall. Um, Darian Nicolodes is amazing because she sits sort of astraddle this. Um, Hers is, the best. is definitely the best on this stool with her legs open, and she talks about how she's just a, she's just parts, she's just parts to be owned. Um, you know, which sort of signals to her character being. A bit of a bit of an extreme form of a petri female where she's in this relationship for economic reasons, but she's not a powerful female like most of his other females. She's not wealthy. She is in a in like an underhanded yeah, kind of way. Yeah, I think that's why she colludes with Total to sort of get this power over the butcher. He doesn't really give a well. She talks about her relationship with the butcher like it's a job. Like, not just working in the butcher shop where she literally does nothing except for sit up on this platform with or behind a desk. sometimes with him kissing. Oh, there's a scene where she's doing that counting the money. Oh, I love that And he's kissing scene. her thighs under the counter, the butcher. It's like erotic <laughs> money counting. <laughs> money is eroticized all the way through it. And the touching of money and the owning of, of money. And, and, you know, it's just really, really eroticized. And the setting of money on oh, fire. Oh, I love it when he burns that <laughs> note. It's just beginning. like, <laughs> the bank manager's like, that's sacrilege. Yeah. He, he quits the bank and the way he quits, basically he asks for a loan and it's a pretty small loan, but the bank manager won't give it to him and says he's not entitled. So he quits. And as he quits, he pulls out money from his pocket, lights it on fire, and holds it up as he walks out of the bank manager's office and down the center aisle out of the bank, and everyone's looking at him like he just murdered a baby. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I sort of thought he was going to stick the finger up, but he doesn't. He's just waving this note. 
and he's like really rebellious about it. He 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 make he becomes like a a sort of career criminal, but he just steals things like cigarettes and caviar and stuff. Yeah, and for no reason. Well, because he can, I think, is the main thing. Just it's like a game to him. So a familiar face popped up actually. He meets he does meet this actual career criminal who is amazing. Um he bizarrely poses as a priest and goes to find out who this criminal is who who <laughs> managed love, to pick one of the scene. locks in this at this security show and he decides that he needs to get help from a career criminal. So he goes to the police station dressed as a priest, saying he's been robbed and cons himself <laughs> into this sort of sour with this cop who's like, well, I'll let you in because you're a priest. And then this guy is so bizarre. But we talked about this with Citizen. You've got this, cat the law, cataloguing people by... Um, by sexual, sexual yeah, preference religion and religion. Yeah, religion. <laughs> in Citizen, it was to do... Um, and like yeah, political so he goes through this list of slides of these... <laughs> criminals it's like he's a masochist this is a ne necrophiliac and he's like catholic ne necrophiliac this is so and so so he identifies this criminal and then he just sneaks off um so the guy's called albertoni and he's played by mario scascia who's a familiar face because he played the weird neighbor in the perfume of the lady in black who we featured on our art jallo episodes a lot of weird little familiar faces pop up in these films. I love that, though. In these little characters, and you're like, oh, look. And another one that made Sam sort of hysterical in the last film we'll cover. Oh, I can't <laughs> yes, wait. Yes, we won't mention him yet. <laughs> no. So he's he's this career criminal, and he's also gay, and he's in his spare time he puts on this cabaret act where he plays a half man half woman he's like done up he's got like a tuxedo and a dress on the other side and half makeup and, <laughs> it's so perfect and you just think what and he's got this little band of gay sort of helpers or criminals who, who've, who've got that they're sort of another version of the student protesters but they're criminals here these sort of young guys that he controls through sex and drugs um, he goes to go and get him to help him and break into the butchers <laughs> again because he can't get into the safe. I love that little character. He's not in it for, for long. He's sort of only in it for a few scenes. But he's but great. He, and he's so he's, good. He's sort of saddled with that. Again, it's sort of a duplication of the scene from Investigation where a character is called into the police station and they have to give evidence. And it's sort of people saying like they, they go in and they see who the actual criminal is and they pretend not to know. And well, he winds up being the fall guy. Cause the thing is the butcher can't actually admit to knowing who total is, even though they get hold of him and they beat the crap out of him, the police, there's this detective who's investigating it because if he admits to, knowing who the criminal is and they're going to find out that he ripped the insurance off and he's got all this money hidden away and basically and his earnings you know, are illegal most of them yeah so he can't so they they it, it it does have parallels to citizen in that way in that there's this strange scene in the police station where they're like you know 
this cop's like, well, do you know this guy? And he's like, yeah, I know him. He works in the bank and he won't admit. The cop knows he knows who he is, but nobody will actually admit that he did anything. And it's like, you know, they don't want to press him because he's a powerful man because he's got this money. And so that's <laughs> the core theme again is this power money corrupts. You know, he might be a butcher, but he's just as powerful as some of the industrialists or the politicians that Petri covers or the policemen. Absolutely. So, and that's but that's what makes him great. I think it would have been easy to have him be sort of a more because I, I don't know about you, but when I think of a butcher, I think it's a more blue collar profession, whereas he turns it into this whole racket. It's like he really... So in the last couple episodes, we've talked a lot about the Italian economic miracle in the in the 60s. And he's another example of that, of somebody who's taking advantage of the system and working it as hard as they can to just boost their financial status at the expense of everything else. Because everything's mismanaged and everyone turns a blind eye. And there's this idea that even the banks are corruptible. Even the bank manager can be corrupted with bribes of stake. <laughs> so even the police can be sort of turned, to, you know, to told to turn a blind eye and the insurance reps and, you know, everybody's out to get what they can. And so the most honest people in it are actually the thieves because they don't allude to being, you know, anything else. My total poor father. Oh, and the, but the father, yeah, Salvo. He's so he's, sweet. He's so sweet because he doesn't believe in theft. And uh, there's this scene between him and his son where his son says, well, how much money have we got in the bank? And he says, as much as we deserve, which is basically nothing. So so sad. You know, he's sort of this downtrodden, you know, but he loves the caviar. And when Total <laughs> actually steals some money, then he, he he gets interested then. I love the fact that even he can be corrupted with some banknotes. So normally we're really into giving spoilers just because it makes it so much easier to talk about a film, but we've been kind of reluctant to do that with a lot of these Petri films for good reason. Because and I, th I think because a lot of people haven't seen them, it's, yeah, it's unfair. Whereas a lot of the things that we have covered, you know, people could have seen them or, you know, so with these we really want, because some of the endings are so shocking. So we're not going to give away the ending except to say that there is a death scene in an elevator that I couldn't help but think of deep red when I saw it. Yeah. And it's just a, I, I feel like it's just as kind of jarring as that is, but in a different way. It's quite, it's horrible and it's shocking and you just don't see it coming at all. No, but I think that's, Part of what makes him such a great director is he can always surprise you somehow. And all of his films end on this really pessimistic note as well. They just leave you with this, like, absolute, oh, some of them. Even this, which, which... is really funny all the way through. You've got all the scene with the <laughs> yeah. nick in the hat, and then he nicks his car and his girlfriend. He nicks Daria Nicolodi for a bit. And, um, you know, and it's and it's quite fun all the way through and then you just get this ending you're like what the fuck <laughs> you 
you just don't see it coming. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Which is part of why I don't understand how did critics not like this film? Like, how do people not talk about this more? I mean, not even because of Daria's involvement, but just, I don't, it seems like no one's seen this. No, and the, and the critics at the time sort of just hammered it. They hated it and, it, and it made it harder for him to make his next film, you know, to get funding. And he really sort of became disillusioned with the critics then at that point because they just didn't get what he was doing and, you know, he just put all his whole soul into it because he was a director who obviously really, really cared and had a lot of passion for his subject matters. And so... It's awful, really. It's almost like, you know, but it's happened to so many other directors like Jan Show, you know, on one of the epi- episodes we did. Yeah. Barofchek. You know, you can be the you can be the favourite in Flying High and win the Oscar or whatever or go to Cannes and everyone loves you and then the next minute, oh, no, we don't like what you did, bye. You know, it's very much like that. So it's and sad. And it's so frustrating. But it is, and I think it comes out in his last film when we get to it, that that sadness in in a way. And I think it comes out in a huge way in the next film, which is next to We Still Kill the Old Way is arguably his bleakest, most nihilistic. It's It's so over the top. It's his most challenging film as well, I think. It, I love it so much. It's so beautiful, but it's, it's definitely his most challenging film. So... The film we're talking about is Todo Modo, which was 1976, which reunites. <laughs> so the wonderful Marcello Mastriani is back with Gian Maria Volante. Uh, they go head to head in this. It's quite. Oh, and they almost have their heads pressed together in a number of scenes. They do. Um, it, but it, this is a very dark and a very critical and very brutal film for Petri. It's almost like he was channeling that anger. Pasolini, yeah. It's so, so dark and very challenging and very slow to get going. It's a, over two hours long and the first hour is just set up, basically, until it all sort of hits. Once the action gets going, it's mental. We will talk about the ending in an abstract way because we don't want to... Yeah, there's no way not to. There's no way not to, but we don't want to give the the hows and the whys for obvious reasons. Um, It's a difficult film. I think a lot of people that have seen it don't know what to make of it. It's, It's so beautiful, though. So, so beautiful, but very dark. But, yeah, and there's almost no... Like, I don't even know what genre, like, what what genre would you even put this in? It's almost like a giallo with a load of priests and politicians and nuns in it. Almost, but not quite. And it's, political yeah. espionage and crime filler thrown in. It's a little bit of everything. And it definitely, the the film it reminds me of the most is Solo. It is, yeah, because all the people in it, 
So we should sort of try and just quickly give a gist of what it's about, which is difficult. So you've got the Prime Minister of Italy, who's who's played by Volante, and him and all Yay. these these businessmen and politicians and journalists and all these important people. There's, they say that there's a, an epidemic going on in Rome, but they don't actually sort of say what it is. And so they've gone into this bunker for spiritual cleansing by priests, and that and the priests are led by um, Marcello Mastriani, who plays John. Don Gatano, who's this priest. Uh, He's fabulous. He's so good in this. And they're in this bunker and, you know, having spiritual cleansing, which Sam will relate to, because she's been having some sort of diet cleansing. Oh, God. (laughs) This week. (laughs) But they don't get diet cleansing. They just get sort of preached. No, they do. They do because in a number of scenes, they're forced to fast. Oh, yeah, they are. <laughs> so there you go. You prob- that's probably why you liked it so much, because you could relate to the fact that they were starving. It- yes, except not everyone is, well, I I don't want to say that yet. <laughs> <laughs> so the long and the short of it is that they're, they're in this bunker and they're getting preached to and they start getting killed and there's a killer in there with them and... No one admit to it and nobody will admit where they are and what happens. Like, it's just this whole back and forth with these people that can't tell the truth and people are just dying. And when they start dying, like I said, it takes an hour. So it requires a bit of patience to let it build up because it seems almost nonsensical when it starts off. They're going to these sort of sermons and there's a lot of this and a lot of political talk Um but then when it when the killings actually kick off then they're they're relentless which is why i think it's almost like a ja- almost like a jalo yes and they're nasty and, uh, but a lot of his and we've talked about this throughout these episodes a lot of his films involve a kind of a murder mystery feel where even the days are numbered it starts off with a dead body and so there's some sort of death that has to be explored in almost all these, but this is, I think next to we still kill the old way is probably the closest to being like a murder mystery kind of. Yeah, it sort of is. And it's Except it's fucking bananas. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of, isn't it? Sort of like a political sort of critique as well. And a, and a critique of religion and a critique of politics and, a, and another critique of power. Because obviously here the religious people have the power and the politicians have the power. So it's all those scenes sort of coming together in one big bunker with... In the best possible way. Yes. Oh, God. it's (laughs) I, I don't even know what to talk about first here. It's like there are so many different... There's a lot of historical context... But I think we should just give a little brief thing. Um, I saw an interview with Paola Petri, so Elio's widow, and she said, like, when they first... So it was based on a novel, we should say, to start off with, by Leonardo Sciascia, um, who of yes. the same name. Um, and a lot of people have com- compared Volante's character to the leader of the Christian Democratic Party of the time, um, Aldo, yes, Moro. Aldo Moro. Now, Paolo Petri said she, he, it, the character never started off as Moro, but they just he's credited as M because again he just gets called Prime Minister. But when they saw Volante's performance, because he was there as they were writing the script, he was sort of involved and in reading parts of the script, and they said, "Go away, get into the part," you know. 
it became hanging that. around being fabulous yeah just like you know because he was all into the method and you know <laughs> so um it became that so i think it's important because um because of what happened tomorrow and what happens in this is like some really strange sort of i think one of the actresses so mariangela Malato who plays the Prime Minister's wife, and she's also in Lulu the Tall as Lydia's a yeah, girlfriend. Yeah, she's great she's here. She's so good. She called it a prophetic film in that, you know, what happened after it was made was just mind-blowing. So I think we should just quickly discuss that context. So in the last episode, we talked a lot about the situation in Italy in the 60s and 70s, where there was just a ton of violence from all sides. And most of it was what could be called revolutionary violence. Uh, leftist groups, like at this particular time, there was a group called the Red Brigade, who started off, uh, I think their their first murder was in 1974, uh, which is, you know, so two years before this. And they pretty much set off on this terror campaign that included setting cars on fire, bombings, murders, beating people, kneecappings, all kinds of people really would go horrible missing. stuff. They like to kidnap people. People just disappear. Yes. Uh, which we mentioned, we, I think we mentioned that on the last episode, didn't we? It was, a, it was a crazy time. You also had all the unions and the students and everything going on as well, and everyone just fighting and blowing each other up. No, and I think the thing about them is that they were sort of trying to riff on the the Bolshevik model, but in a really weird and aggressive way, they blended together all these different kinds of leftist communist ideologies and brought these sort of young disenfranchised people together. They even brought a lot of intellectuals together. For a while, their their leader, who was their leader in secret, was this professor. And when he was outed, there was a huge scandal. But the act that they're most famous for is the the kidnapping of Moro and I which was two years after this film was made which is part of why the film suffered so much in like it didn't pick up the way it should have because not only was it critical of the democratic christian party and the catholic church in general but it kind of I think it just left a bad taste in people's mouths but so basically in 1978 they kidnapped Moro killed his security detail and held him captive for 55 days and then murdered him and part of that was to do with the government because they were like we're not going to give in yeah so they just let him they weren't gonna be held hostage so they sacrificed him in a way which was which just shows the you know the height of feeling at the time Sure. And I think the only real parallels to this are what was going on in Germany. I mean, there, there weren't, certainly there were leftist groups everywhere. I mean, we talked about this a lot in our, our young show episode, but few of them resorted to the kind of politically motivated assassinations that happened here. So with that in mind, you know, given that this was two years before, I think on the, when the film was released, 
it didn't go down too well at all, especially because of censorship, because of the the references to the church and the political parties of the time. And then it just got buried for years. And I'm I'm taking my reference from the same interview with the with the actress Mulatto, who said she'd never see she'd only seen it once and she'd love to see it again. Has actually been released to Blu-ray, I think, in Germany in the last year or maybe that the year before that, I know it has actually been upgraded to high definition. I haven't seen what it looks like. I haven't seen the restoration. Me neither, and I'm dying to. It's a beautiful film. I think it's next to Investigation, maybe his most beautiful. It's so it's, so it's set in these bunkers, which have um. It was all shot on twenty five millimeters, so that everything is in this wide shot where you've got these congregations of people, um. Lots of people marching around and moving and you've got the scenery. So it's got this really beautiful sort of, I don't know how you describe it. It's a concrete bunker, but they've got weird modern art well, pieces. Yeah, it's supposed to be a monastery. So there's there's this really weird dichotomy between marble floors and things obviously being very costly but then all of their rooms have these really strange wooden doors yeah. that are really flimsy looking. And it almost seems like it's designed for you to hear what people are doing on the well, other there's side. There's a lot of that in it. People eavesdropping and everything's under surveillance. There's cameras in all the rooms and there's a lot of people overhearing conversations and stuff. And then on top of that, you've got these these sort of modern art piece sculptures so all the, the iconography <laughs> isn't this traditional catholic sort of thing my favorite piece is they've got these bunch of statues and they're roman gladiators and they're stabbing jesus and the cross is fallen on the top of jesus and they've got that in their food hall where they go into fast and sit on these big tables to see <laughs> nothing like and there's this shrouded figure that's at the end of a black hallway as well it looks really really creepy really really creepy it looks like a person in a shroud but it's supposed to be a sculpture but it's the whole thing is terrifying so i think visually it's one of his most interesting films uh, it's it honestly it reminds me a lot of bertolucci's the conformist because in that film, there's this emphasis on fascist art and architecture and lots of really white and black spaces. Yeah. And it's similar to that here. Like black walls with these really bizarro white statues in front of them. Like, yeah, I it, it it's one of those films where you could watch it over and over again because the plot can be a little confusing at first, but not only just to follow that, but to take in everything that's going on visually. So it's, much going on. It's all like these the overhead shots. Too. Yeah, and the overhead shots as well. A lot of it's sort of on these overhead cameras where you've got... So you've got Marcello is this priest and he's giving these sermons and all the people there, all the politicians and that behind him. And he's got them marching up and down and it's these really wide shots and everything's there's so much going on that it's just almost too much to take in and if you watch it more than once you notice other little things like that you didn't see before so it's definitely one of those so there's too much going on in each shot 
too much all these weird little details way too much and people people behind the central person in front of like it's just i i don't know there's so many weird layers like it's very intricately choreographed with sort of people running around behind whoever is the focal point and a lot of time that's marcello um, and it's then either the Marcello it's or Volante. John Maria, and I yes. don't know who I like more in this because they're both they're both amazing, and both completely out of type as well. Well, this is my favorite Marcello role, I think. He's great in this because he's not. I think I said in the last episode how he usually plays this sort of cheeky chap in. He's you know a total bastard always yeah. crying about something <laughs> he is a bit of a bastard in this moment but he is this corrupt in a different priest. way <laughs> and the first time you meet him is him and volante sit down to this dinner and he says i'm a bad priest but the church was founded on bad priests so he's completely unrepentant he gives out these sermons on hell and sin and all this stuff um, and tells people to fast, and then when everyone's gone, scoffs a load of communion <laughs> wafers. <laughs> it's it's kind of like his role as that sunset priest in the Tenth Victim, where he's yes, really I sort of that. stately and ritualistic, but it's all for show. And yeah, because you get this idea he just sees it as business. He doesn't actually have any beliefs. He gets off on the power of giving these massive sermons. But when you have these little intimate conversations between the two of them, his actual beliefs of being a priest aren't actually that deep. He's more about the power and telling people what to do. And I love his whole thing. He says priests are like women and you get to wear this robe. <laughs> so it's a bit scene. like wearing. And then he starts talking about what it's like to have the breeze on his penis because you don't have to wear <laughs> pants. <laughs> yeah he's like i don't wear underwear it's great <laughs> so there is some strange sort of chemistry between those two as well some real really strange chemistry between marcello and Jean-Marie. they look like okay you made fun of me in the last episode because i talked about how i thought things in no a but certain... this is true i did see this <laughs> they as look well like they're gonna make out in half the scenes their faces so okay i i think i've explained this before maybe i haven't but i have you know some ocd issues and there are certain things i can't handle watching and one of the things i can't handle i can't handle close-ups of people eating i like i, I just i can't deal with it <laughs> another thing that i can't handle is when people are talking to each other in frame and their faces are an inch apart it's just like are you guys gonna kiss are you not gonna kiss what's happening right now someone put your heads together why is this going like these are the things that go through my head during those scenes but especially with the two of them they whisper into each other's ears and they're very sort of breathy and it's like okay so you're talking about how great being a priest is solely because you don't have to wear underwear and like what what's happening here <laughs> but he even says at one one point in the film you don't love me anymore and i know Cello says no you don't love me and you wonder if something's happened between them well in the beginning of the film they're sitting when they when they first get to the monastery to the underground part 
they're sitting down to this dinner and Marcello kind of leans over and like whispers in his ear that he's going to take him by the hand and lead him into hell. <laughs> it's like, can we see that, please? Why was that cut from the script? <laughs> Nothing would make me happier if I ever find a time machine. You could be sure that that scene will be added in. I've noticed these sort of queer themes seem to come up more in his later films. These last three, there are sort of, although it's not overt here, there's some sort of odd energy going on between those two, and it come and it came up in um, Property with an out and out gay character, and it comes up in the next film as well. Um, But there's definitely something there because Volante's relationship with his wife isn't entirely sexual <laughs> but it it it's it's it, sexual but in a really repressed <laughs> kind of masochistic role-playing kind of way peccato viene da peccus difetto del piede il difetto ti fa zoppicare e deviare dalla strada maestra io devo pesare tutto il mio peccato tutta la laidezza e la perversità del mio peccato io devo guardare in faccia tutta la laidezza tutta la corruzione del mio peccato io sono una piaga che butta butta io sono un ascesso che Siamo qui, Giacinta e io, peccatori, ai tuoi piedi e con l'occhio dell'immaginazione guardiamo il nostro peccato. Ma la mia sposa è innocente. No. Il colpevole sono io. No, oh, no, no. Sì. no, non è vero. Io sono il peccato. Io, io no. voglio peccare. No. Io sento il mio corpo no. infetto. No. È una fonte di umori infetti. Io corrompo te il mio sposo. No, ora no. Ora no. So we we should have mentioned this, but so he's the Prime Minister Volante, but he's not this sort of smug, charismatic character. No. He's here. he's the total it's kind of mm. like what you were saying about Marcello playing against type. John Maria's playing against type too, and he's really he kind of stoops a lot and he doesn't have that intense gaze for most of the film he and doesn't he's look really lo- soft-spoken he doesn't look a lot of people in the eye when he's talking to them and he's almost cowering and a lot of sort of walking backwards and very humble and, he, and very emotional though one of the characters complains about his fake crying later on and says you know you're always crying because he is a bit of a baby in he cries in- <laughs> so much in this movie <laughs> So he has this wife who he smuggled in with him, even though women aren't supposed to be there apart from the nuns who turn up later on, who's who's played by Mari Mariangela Melato, as I've just said. Giancita, he smuggled her in. <laughs> um and I love that. <laughs> so his relationship with his wife is she he likes to suckle from her breast like a baby. She's like he's <laughs> like another man baby. There's then so many of these man about, babies. Yeah, we have to talk about the man babies. 
Because they're all over the place. They're in all of his films. He's like this crying, breast-suckling man baby <laughs> who has rape fantasies. And who he does this... Uh, he makes it sound like it's meditative breathing while he's praying, but, <laughs> but he's panting erotic. like he's masturbating. Yes. <laughs> I've got in my notes erotic praying because him and his wife do it together, but they're really like... <gasps> And one of but the priests start is to, outside they, the door. They they like start to make out, but he pulls away, and she looks at him like, "Will you just fuck me? Like, come on!" <laughs> it's, it's glorious. And then there was another scene that I had to mention to Sam when I was watching it. I sent him a screen grab of it and said, "I bet you wish this was you." <laughs> yeah. Well. So, yeah. So his yeah, wife bathes him like he's a little <laughs> child in the bath. So it's the scene where he's in the bath with his wife sort of washing him. But later on in in the film, she compares him to Jesus, which is a bit much. She wants to see him lead Rome and she sees him as this sort of, you know, Jesus figure. And she's there washing his feet, which is which slightly blasphemous. <laughs> Well, no, it makes me it makes me think of the devils a little bit because there is that sort of yeah. martyr fixation. Well, he he think he gets obsessed. That he's got the stigmata at one point because even though he's quite humble and he's not intense, he is actually quite mad. Yeah, and that it doesn't become totally clear until the second half of the film. It, it seems like in the beginning he's maybe corrupted by power and has been in power for so long that he's just in his own universe but by the end he's just <laughs> can i mention <laughs> this so can nuts? i mention the scene while he's drinking the cup of tea with the corpse yes please <laughs> <laughs> so he goes missing all these people start getting killed like quite nastily you don't actually see how they're killed but the bodies turn up and it's quite bloody and they're in this sort of bunk or this monastery and it's it's surveillance everywhere and they can't work out who's who's killing. And a cop comes in to sort of investigate and nobody will give him a straight answer. Like even in this crowd where they're supposed to be marching together and he asks them to reconstruct it, they all start lying about where they were stood. And there's this funny joke about you were to my right. I've n- I wasn't to the right. Well, you've always been to the right. You're even to the right of Mussolini, one of the characters. <laughs> yeah, I love that joke. <laughs> it's just like so. It's not. T- it's quite grim, but it has still got these petri elements of comedy. So all these people start turning up dead. There's like a guy who turns up, and all his like I don't know what's been done to them, but all their mouths are all like cut. Like they've had their mouths slit open. It almost, like... it almost seems like it's going to be some sort of ritualistic, like cult killing at first. Yeah, because one of the bodies that they find him dead and then put him on a bed and they come back and somebody stripped him off and turned him over like he's been raped in the ass. And then there's somebody under the bed. And then there's another <laughs> body under there. And Marcello's just there sort of, you know, not phased at all by it. But the prime minister goes missing and they're like, where is he? You know, someone taken him. And this cop comes in and they're like, oh. <laughs> so they kidnap the cop and he ends up in the catacombs blindfolded and gets his blindfold off and hears someone calling his name. And there's Jean-Marie Volonti dressed as a priest sat at this little table taking afternoon tea with a corpse 
laid out in this glass case and it's got one of those i'm not sure what you call them but those things the priests have the like staff thing the big cross <laughs> and you just think actually he's completely mad you know the breastfeeding yeah he's just a petri man baby but when you see that you just think what the hell this is absolutely brilliant <laughs> and that's what that's why it reminds me of Solo so much because it's just so intentionally provocative in a way that's really kind of seedy and uncomfortable and just... But it's grotesque and it's perverse and it's just all a bit, you know, you can obviously see the sentiment there, but there's that whole corruption theme again. And I suppose because it's like a religious corruption... Petri uses that to bring in like a sexual element. So there's like homosexual elements. There's this rape theme. There's this. Oh, okay. So we need to talk about. <laughs> so there's this early character named Fultrano <laughs> who supposedly rapes M's wife. But so the character is Chichio. I from... know. Uh, which he's so fucking good in this. Okay, so if if you don't know anything about Italian comedy, pretty much their most enduring comedic duo of the period was known as Franco and Ciccio, and they're all over the place. They're in some Fulci movie. Like, they just, they turn up everywhere, but Ciccio here <laughs> plays this sort of religious extremist mm. who whips himself and wants everyone to half, fast. Half and, naked. He, like, oh takes my off God. his trousers. <laughs> He, every He's time so something upsets him, he takes off his trousers and goes to his room and starts flagellating himself with this, like, whip with his bare ass out. It's so amazing. There's so much male nudity <laughs> in this film. You just don't expect him. Well, it's even a bit from Jean Maria, but it's a bit out of focus. I know. I know. Other... I was like, is we this? Are... I was like, wait a minute. Can <laughs> you actually like... see anything? <laughs> it's sort of you can because he's obsessed with this idea that he's got cancer. And he tells Marcello at the beginning and he says, well, where is it? And he says, in the place where I feel the most sin. <laughs> so he keeps looking at his dick. And stressing about it. And this like fear. It's so good. It's like so you've got that going on as well. And he's like really worried about it. Um so it has got yeah, it's got quite a bit of male nudity because the corpse gets stripped off as well. Yes. Um Well, there are a bunch of naked corpses. Wow. That is <laughs> No, no, throughout the movie. Like the the two men found in the bedroom are nude, I think. And the way they place them as well is in this sort of, even though there's not really any gay sex in it, and you have got this weird chemistry between those guys, but the way the bodies are placed are in this sort of profane, sort of like they've been up to something um, with their trousers <laughs> taken off and stuff, and the way they're placed in relation to each other is a bit, you know, and I think he was just trying to push the bar there to be as perverse and as you know naughty as he could which it's isn't a theme that comes up in a lot of his other work but in here but in here it's almost like you know it's like they're priests they're religious let's make it gay sex it's almost got that feeling of it but there's not anything overt in it it's just it's just there though also, a lot there's... of ass <laughs> a lot of asses 
so many asses. But tied to that, there's this scene that I didn't totally understand. And I thought this was a sexual reference because, you know, it's me and I assume everything is. But there's this scene earlier on after Voltrano has sort of embarrassed himself and, you know, been naked in front of everyone. There's a scene where where M leans over to him and he says something about how he knows about the children and there are four of them. I yeah. didn't know if, if he was trying to say, like, I know you've abused children. I, I think also... I took it that way because there's this okay. overall theme. That's how I took it because there's this overall theme and even Marcello's, like, the head of them. He's supposed to be their spiritual leader and he's not exactly whiter than white. There's this whole theme that even though they're priests, they're extremely corrupt and in a lot of that seems to be in a sexualized way but then sexual sexuality and power is a theme that comes up in a lot of petri's work anyway and i guess if they're supposed to be the most powerful people then they're going to have their sexuality aren't they yeah and it just comes out in such a explosive really unexpected for petri way i mean there was another scene when i thought the wife was going to get off with marcello when he was given a... Me too. There was an erotic confession. Um, You almost thought, you know, because she wasn't, didn't seem to be getting it from her husband, that they were going to do something. There's so much sexual tension in this. Well, it, it seems like a lot of the confessions are, have this erotic edge because... There's never, I mean, I think in most movies, there's sort of a scene where you see people in a confessional already, or someone's in a church and says, you know, Father, will you take my confession? But here, it's people, it's, it's different characters asking Marcello to, to confess them. And they're always sort of lean, they're doing that whole one inch from his face thing where... Yeah. <laughs> There's... It's like, will you guys please just? I don't. Just... <laughs> There's such a, such a level of intimacy to it. It's wonderful. It is wonderful, and the ending. So you mentioned Salo earlier, and it, the thing that ties oh. it to Salo the most is the ending, which is just glorious. But really, like, what the hell? In a Salo way, and. I honestly, even though you see all the dead bodies and there's all the sexual subtext and these bizarre sexual situations, I never saw the ending coming. No, I didn't. <laughs> I thought I had it all figured out and I thought I knew what was going to happen. And I thought it would be a bit of a citizen deal. That's how I had it figured out and it just wasn't. It just wasn't no. that at all. And I He was takes like, such a hard turn. <laughs> So like the hardest turn. <laughs> I mean, it basically ends with a massacre, a very graphic massacre, where you see, I'd say, at least 50 dead bodies. Adesso puoi uccidere anche me. Fiat. 
I mean, I think it's everyone who started out in the compound winds up dead, whether they die off throughout the course of the movie or not, but just suddenly at the end, they're all dead. <laughs> the In the head count, it's just insane. Like, well, like the first hour, nothing happens. You're like, what is going on? These weird sermons and these weird things where people are touching heads and, you know, you've got people whipping themselves and fasting and all this, and you just think, where is this going? As soon as that first killing hits, it's like it hits a rhythm where they start to speed up. So you get one killing, then another, then another, then two, then three, then, you know, and it goes like that until it hits the end. And you're like, fuck. <laughs> Elio Petri, just when you thought you couldn't, ast I could, you couldn't astound me anymore, you do this. It's and it's so beautiful and like it's so well, all the makeup is really well done. Yeah, I just, I feel like we can't even, you need to see it. There's no way that we can even begin to put this into words because no. it's such a masterpiece of a, of an ending. And I'm not going to give away what he does, but in terms of the whole Salo and Pasolini reference, his first muse, Franco Chidi, shows up in this film. And I'm always very excited to see him. And again, just does something really surprising at the end. Which moves us nicely to our third film, talking of Pasolini people. La luce. Fedora, sta andando via la luce. Fedora. Yes, which <laughs> I I mean we definitely talked about this a little bit in our Young Show episode because he shows up in a Young Show film, but Nanetto Davoli, who was Pasolini's partner for quite a while and is in a a bunch of his films doesn't have a big role in Petri's last film, which is Good News from 1979. But seeing him makes me so happy because he just, he has the kind of face, he, he almost looks like a cherub, like a grown-up cherub. Yeah, he does. And we talked he about just, him when we did. Yeah. We talked about him when in the in the Yant Show episode. He's, he's so cheeky. He's got that little face, hasn't he? But he just hair. he just projects this kind of joy that I don't think a lot of other actors do. And I mean, I don't think he necessarily had a ton of range, but he didn't have to because he he just had this presence that is kind of unforgettable. But doesn't he also clearly is not trying to steal any any spotlight from the other actors. He just shows up and is wonderful. No, he's only in a couple of themes, but he uh... He's only in a couple of scenes, but he appears through a door and you're like, Ninetto! <laughs> like, <laughs> you just ah! don't expect him to be there. So the film we're talking about is Good News 1979. It was Petri's last feature film and it's it's a black comedy. It's extremely sad and extremely funny and extremely pessimistic, more so than a lot a lot of his earlier films. But this was... You know, 
three years before he died of cancer in 1982. So at the end of his career where he wasn't getting funding and he'd sort of been at the sharp end of the critics. And the way that he funded this, that he, he was working on the script and the main character, who is just the man, because <laughs> he's just... Yes. Giancarlo Giannini, the actor. Had, oh, I love him so much. He's so good in this as well. He's just <laughs> so good. He actually saw the script and loved it and said, look, give me a day, I'll get you some producers. So he went and he helped Petri get the funding. Um but all of I think all of Petri's sadness and disillusionment and everything and all of his themes all come together in this, which is like his swan song, I suppose. And it just like the his earlier films when we started this retrospective and we said his first films, apart from Last Asino, seem to get overlooked. This one on the other end of the scale gets overlooked, which is a well, they all get overlooked, but this one more than the others. Because it's just a strange comedy about this man who works for a TV station. You don't actually know what he does. He just sits in a room all day watching violent TV programs. (laughs) (laughs) He's married to this woman, Fedora, who's played by Angela Molina, who's, like again, younger than him. But his marriage seems to be on the rocks. He doesn't love her anymore. And he's having... This is, like, he's having this huge existential crisis that is mainly to do with his sexual performance and his ability to attract women Um, and then along the way he meets up with an old childhood friend who gets him into a bit of bother and that's the only way I could sum it up really (laughs) without giving too much away in a synopsis yeah I I think these last three films it's really hard to just kind of give a sentence saying this is what to expect from this movie because they all go so many different directions at once in such a wonderful way it's such a ludicrous film and such a chaotic film we talked about this in the last episode and we've just mentioned it before that you had it was a time when you had the you you know the workers and the students and all this stuff going on and it's set in that period and it's set in the city but you've got this constant violence going on in the background so you've got tv screens with very violent scenes being shown all through a lot of the scenes in the background but then on top of that it's set in a city where they have rubbish bags and just crap dumped everywhere and everything is a bit off and everything is a bit you know and they have these blackouts because of the strikes and or bomb scares all the time and people just treat it as everyday life and so it's got this really chaotic energy which i loved it starts off with oh, a blackout. Yeah. That's how it starts off, and they, and the man and his <laughs> and wife, so funny. Fedora, <laughs> decide to have sex because the lights have gone off, and that's how it starts off with this thing. And then he's at work the next day, and he, <laughs> and there's a bomb scare. And what I love about this is, Pete, so they call a bomb scare, and this happens a few times throughout the film, and everyone has to go out to the local park. They're like, bomb scare, and this is how Ninetto gets in it, because he's one of the people that comes in to say bomb scare. And everyone goes out to the park, which is covered in rubbish and litter, and the ice cream van turns up, and people start getting off with each other or playing football. (laughs) (laughs) That park is amazing. (laughs) And there's just rubbish blowing around everywhere. 
and nobody seems that phased. And so it sort of starts off like that. You, he's exposed to all this violence, but his pressing problem, you know, he says to his wife, like, why? And there's a lot of bad language in it as well. It, it's like, why the fuck are we together? You know, and she's she's sort of not that interested in him. She won't assume the wife role, and he is an absolute man baby. She likes going on her exercise bike. So he storms off. He says, I'm interested in other women. And then there's this woman capturing it. I'm not... Was she his boss or something? I don't... Uh, Yeah, I think she's a colleague. She's like this media woman, quite harsh. And he goes into her office at various intervals and discusses his penis with her. and (laughs) (laughs) And takes his pants off and is like... Is there something wrong with it? Is it too long? Too short? (laughs) (laughs) Too aggressive? (laughs) Too aggressive? (laughs) And she's like, you know, he's like, why, why can't I, you know, why can't I, um, attract women? And and he's got this awful sense of self-loathing as well. And she says she (laughs) consensus, and she says, well, if you don't like yourself, women aren't going to either. And he and he sort of admits to it. And she's not wrong. But he's so good. Giancarlo Giannini is so good in this role because he's just this ridiculous. I mean, he's great in everything. But this is one of his. (laughs) This is one of his funniest for sure. So he's a typical Petri man in that he wants power and he wants to be adored by women and he wants to be the man and all the women in his life just dominate him or cuckold him or they humiliate him and you know and oh aren't attracted to him and he's just desperate to get his leg over his own wife isn't (laughs) that bothered there's this strange sort of thing where he decides once he announces to his wife that he's not interested anymore he gets her to invite her friend to a camping <laughs> and even the beach is covered in rubbish and black oh, bags blow up. so on a camping trip where they're all naked like the wife's there cooking naked they're all naked the friends there just completely naked and he keeps trying it on with her and she's just not interested he keeps saying but his way of seducing her is to just say a load of swear words like say how he <laughs> He loves to call, like, he has her what he calls her bits, like, what do you call your sexual bits? And she says, I call it a vagina. And he says, I like the word yeah, yeah. cunt. He, he, he points, he points at her crotch and he says, for instance, what's her name? <laughs> and I kind of expected her to come back with, like, a name. Oh, but her, her comeback is brilliant. And then he says about calling his own a cock. And he says, when I close my eyes, this is what I think of. And she says, well, maybe that's what you are thinking of, cock. <laughs> and he gets all outraged. And there is this really strange homosexual it's theme so in this. There's this. There is. There's so many queer references and people sort of calling him queer or, you know. And so that's the setup. But then his childhood friend, and I feel this is a thing that comes up a lot in Petri where men are alienated and they're looking for a connection and they do this through sex but then they they also do this in a way where they connect to these people from their past like they're all best friends or like in we still kill the old way it's cousins and you know they 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 they're trying to sort of connect to these people from their past and here it is the friend 
who turns up like he's in a spy thriller <laughs> or something. It's, <laughs> it's so great, though. So absurdist. And talking of Sarlo as well. Yeah, but he... Okay, so the friend is Paolo Bonicelli, who's, who's one, of the, one of the four men from Solo. And I literally can't look at him without picturing the scene from the end of Solo where he's doing the can-can dance in the bathrobe. I know. So this whole, but he has, this whole movie... Oh. He, is, he is as ridiculous here, but just for very different reasons. <laughs> just the walls. <laughs> <laughs> He's so great here, though. Like so he, he he gives the, such a better performance. Not that he gives a bad performance in Solo, but the role is intentionally yeah very limiting. And here he has he's so warm and oh, funny. I he, love him in there. It's so charismatic. So he turns up. He gets Giancarlo to meet him, and they go to eat these donuts. And he says he's a professor, and he's carrying a gun, and he's convinced that someone's trying to kill him and his theory he's come to this theory that someone's trying to kill him because a car nearly knocked him over a dog bit him and he got food poisoning (laughs) (laughs) so he's like i need you to know if anything happens to me and he's like well why do you think someone's trying to kill you but it does give that whole thing like he's a professor and it has got that context that people did feel like really afraid and it turns out that the friend is married to this millionaireess heiress <laughs> called Arda, who does isn't really interested in him. We find out why later on, but she's he's not so she, he has to get himself off, <laughs> and she takes these other lovers. Um, and she's played by Aurori Clement, who meet her later on. So that that sort of comes in. There's a lot of these weird little scenes where he's. Going like Giancarlo Carlo is going around in a little hat and a Mac, and it's all very like suspicious. And you think, what's going on? Like it's some sort of weird spy film, but it's not. <laughs> it's like it's, but it definitely has that sort of Kafka. Yeah, meeting on bridges in strange parks and strange people hiding behind trees and stuff. There's a lot of that going on. <laughs> the, the scene where they're in the park and there's a guy up in the tree i <laughs> yeah because wherever they go to talk there's always somebody like appears or somebody stood behind something or and so nobody can ever talk in private because people just appear and there's a, what was with the dogs there's dogs a vicious dogs everywhere i in don't this. know i i think it's it's almost like a comedic twist on investigation where there is in that film there is also this sense that surveillance is constantly happening but here it's way more insidious and like accidental it just some guy's up a tree trying to jerk (laughs) off and you just happen to be standing (laughs) under him having a conversation it's not his fault that he listens (laughs) So they end up in the park is because Arda turns up and sort of says she's really worried about her husband. And um, she wants him to go into a nut house and she wants the man to go and convince him. So, but then, so she's one of these Petri dominating, sexually aggressive women in, in an amazing way. She sort of forces herself on him while they're having this 
heated discussion in a bush <laughs> in the park and she's got this really <laughs> nasty old station with her that keeps trying to bite him and she says you know come to house he's gone completely mad he thinks someone's trying to kill him and so he's gonna have to go to the nut house mi piange il cuore ma, ma c'è l'unica soluzione perché Gualtiero non si ammazzi con le sue mani vuoi dire il manicomio? ecco la clinica psichiatrica, il manicomio e se necessario guarda qualunque mezzo anche, anche l'elettroshock ma certo se è pazzo è pazzo la città è piena di clinica di buoni dottori insomma bisogna decidere faremo di tutto gli faremo anche l'elettroshock bene, bravo allora se sei d'accordo domani vieni a casa mia e lo persuadi giusto? allora appuntamento a domani so Jing, but he's he's just so passive he just yeah he just goes along with it he doesn't try and stop her um and she's all over him so he goes off to see his friend and sort of says you know and the friend sort of knows why he's there and just thinks yeah i'm gonna go so they're waiting for him to pack and there's this really strange homoerotic scene where his friend forces him to dance a waltz with him. It's my favorite scene <laughs> in the movie next to the guy up the tree. It's my favorite scene I think scene it's in the one movie. of my favorite scenes of all the Petri films because it's so fucking I have to absurd. <laughs> it's also especially amazing because Bonicelli is a lot bigger than Giancarlo <laughs> and at one point Giancarlo gets really dizzy and he, he can't go on but Bonicelli forces him he's to like, and like picks him up and him carries across... him around like a child <laughs> <laughs> and he's dragging him across the floor at one point just like he's slumped on the floor and he's like spinning him around so in this big hall with this like these cur flowing curtains <laughs> it's just like <laughs> You just get the idea that Giancarlo just cannot, you know, he's just, no wonder he feels like he does. Like, everyone just takes the piss out of him. Uh, you know, even his friend. <laughs> but he brings it on himself the whole time. He's such a fucking baby. The cry Okay, so my other favorite scene is the crying. When she starts to cry, the, uh, I'm not going to say why, in case we decide not to ruin yeah. this, but there's a scene where his wife starts to cry and he looks at her and says, stop crying. Stop your crying immediately. You're making me cry. And then he starts to cry. And there are multiple scenes where he's just full on crying. So, <laughs> so many good. crying men in Petri, though. They're all like little babies. And, and the man here is just so, he's just like, it seems to be all of those rolled into one. <laughs> so his friend does go to the net house and then he gets... <laughs> So then Arda decides, you know, she's she she's gonna take him in the next room in this hospital bed and sort of forces him into forces him into bed by making him strip off. And like Sam says, he just sort of goes off <laughs> she, so good. <laughs> sort of goes along with it. She's like, Keep your shirt on, I want you to keep that on and she basically tells him what to what to do. So she gets completely naked and mounts him. If you notice, like all the sex scenes in Petri, yes. the woman mounts the man. It's it's <laughs> and a... there there's a weird scene with the wife too. Even oh, we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> so she gets on top of him, but she doesn't want him looking at her, and she goes off her head at him because he looks and she feels like he's judging her or something, and she just goes completely fucking berserk. 
yeah, and like she starts having this... a go at you. <laughs> she has this weird thing where she she doesn't want him to look at her, and I don't even think he's being judgmental. I think she just has some sort of complex. And the noise she's making while she's going up and down on him is <laughs> it's like sounds like weird, weird ecstatic sobbing. It's like this weird, like, (laughs) no wonder he was looking. She sort of just, you know, she's like, that's it. You know, you're not getting it because you're looking at me. (laughs) Ci risiamo? E cosa ho fatto? Tu stai lì a guardarmi. E se mi piacesse guardarti? No, carino. Tu mi sorvegli. Ma sta tranquillo. Mica te lo mangio. Mm. Che sorvegli? Non mi piace che mi si guardi. Almeno con quello sguardo lì. Ma perché? Che sguardo è? Tu hai lo sguardo di uno che pensa, pensa, pensa. Ada, sei fissata, peggio di qualchiero. Eh no, tu sei fissato. So he goes But... he, well, he goes home to his wife and then he, he gets yes. it into his head that he's going to be the woman and he makes them swap sides on the bed. And so then he gets his wife, gets really aggressive, and it's like, you want to be the woman? She starts, like, saying, you've got to turn over then, and starts, like, putting him on his front and, like, like you know, straddling him and swearing at him. And <laughs> he's just there in this bed being pummeled by this young girl. and Who he's neglected and ignored the entire film. I know, he's horrible to his wife. You can't... And it, it, his whole beef with her is because she will not assume the role of a wife. Like, he wants, like, sympathy and breakfast and, you know, <laughs> wants her to fuss over him and she just won't play ball because she's obviously got her own interests. And this whole thing is just, he's in, like, this massive sulk. So he thinks that justifies... The whole movie. Yeah, like <laughs> sleeping with his friend's wife or trying to get off with her friend when they're all on holiday together or, you know, going to work and getting his cock out to his female colleague. You know, he seems to think that that's all justified by the fact that she won't make his dinner. <laughs> I've just got no sympathy for him. So, and yeah. the, But there's also the weird... I don't, I don't know. I think in the way that Marcello gets, not typecast, but tends to be in the same sorts of roles, John Carlo is also like in things like Swept Away and Seven Beauties. He's also kind of in these roles where he's really such a great comedic example of machismo, but at the same time has this really weird submissive side where he just... He takes advantage of people, but he's really inept, and he's he's not very good at it. And he's so but, inept in this. He's just but he's so, so inept. great. He's like the cinema's greatest charismatic sulker. You love him <laughs> so much, and he's so funny, but he's such a fucking baby. It's the look on his face throughout the whole film. He goes from scene to scene with this like exasperated, sort of outraged, passive aggressive sort of glare. That no one thinks he's important enough and no one's taking as much attention of him, not even his friend. You know, he wants to be the important man and no one's taking him seriously. And it's just hilarious. He's just so good. (laughs) His timing and his mannerisms and everything. Yeah, his timing. (laughs) This movie is definitely the funniest. 
So I think, I know we haven't given the last two away, but we should talk about the ending to this one because I don't think it matters so much. And I think... No, it's different. And it's a good way to wrap up the episode as well because it sort of ties into, you know, how Petri was feeling at the time and how his career sort of wound down. So um, his friend does get killed, but not for the reasons that he thought so. He's just in the wrong place at the wrong time in this mental hospital on the wrong floor. And I think there's a politician on the top floor and some sort of student activist on the ground and whoever the hitman comes in, he goes into the wrong room and kills him. I'm laughing, but it is quite funny because he finds <laughs> out, he sees it on the on the news and then he recognises him because his friend's got this book that says masturbation on the cover. It's so funny. <laughs> and there's this really bizarre news sort of report where they go in and look at the body. I mean, I don't know if that actually happened in Italy, but they're like, you know, the cameraman's in the room where forensics are in there and they're filming it. And it just it just beams in on this book, <laughs> Masturbation on the cover. He's Which like, is oh a hilarious God. theme, but it's such a good theme throughout the movie. There's this awesome scene where Giancarlo asks... Ada, like, does your husband masturbate? And she she looks at him like, like, well, yes, of course. And she says, yeah, but not in public. And he goes, <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> so they end up at his funeral. And this is the scene that Sam was talking about when his wife's crying. Um, because she announces she's pregnant a little bit earlier on. He's not happy about that. But it turns out that she's carrying his friend's child and not his. And they're coming back from the funeral. <laughs> I'm <And> sorry. <laughs> it's so good. But I have to say this. So she's sort of like, oh, well, I met him when I was a substitute teacher. And we started talking about you. And, you know, it's not like I cheated on you in a traditional way. But he helped me get closer to you because he'd tell me all these stories all these stories about when you were growing up and so it helped me get closer to you and you get the idea that you know even though she has cheated on him and that and she's not a good wife like he'd want to she she does love him and she does sort of you know dote on him in her own way so and she says you know this is why it happened you know he told me this stuff about you and it helped me to know you better and I feel that it's sort of helped our relationship like even though she's carrying another man's child and he's like I can't believe my friend would do that to me how could he and he said well she says well the funny thing is you know the reason his motivations for doing it was to help him get closer to you <laughs> like no <laughs> so the whole reason they weren't having sex i think he was gay the whole time which is why i kept alluding to queer themes all the way through the episode but he's so and the like, masturbation themes and the masturbation but he's so outraged by this so his friends left him this letter which is like my favorite thing ever he sent him this letter and it says do not open and this is how the film closes. It's like one of Petri's circular things. A lot of his plots that we've talked about, they seem to go on a revolving door. They go in a cycle. Which I love. I love that. So he ends up and there's another bomb scare. So he runs out to this park with this letter and he's like, why can't I open it? I, I'm going to open it. He's like chewing the envelope open, like enraged. And inside are just all, all these notes that say, 
do not open. <laughs> He's like, what does it mean? He's just going berserk. And that is it. You don't know what it means. It's just insane. <laughs> this just poor guy. He's just wanted to find the meaning of his life and he never did. All he got was an envelope full of meaningless messages. <laughs> And the the note eating is just... Oh, I love it when he starts eating the note. He's just going... (laughs) And it's the only time you actually see when he really gets angry as well, like properly angry, because he's got this passive-aggressive sort of streak, so it's building up sort of subtly, but but he's like so enraged by the end when he's chewing that envelope. It's a thing of pure beauty. (laughs) I wish I wish they had done some more films together. I mean I I don't know. It just it makes me it makes me so sad that we don't have more Petri to talk about. Yeah, it is because you know, he was only like 53 when he died and it's such a sad where I mean he died and of cancer. What, 3 years after this? 3 years after, but he'd basically just stopped get he'd given up just because you know, people just didn't get him or I don't know. The Italian film industry was changing a lot by that point anyway, and even genre directors were struggling, as were a lot of directors, you know, in Europe, because TV was taking over and people just weren't interested in in film. They wanted big blockbuster films and whatever. So, you know, people yeah. didn't want his message anymore, you know? So it was sad how he, how he went, and especially with his whole... Like, all through his films, like you said earlier, this obsession with death and people being killed, it was an obsession that he had, that he admittedly had all the way through his career, this thing of death and people trying to find the meanings of their their lives. And that's the thing with Giancarlo in this, is he, he <laughs> this is why he keeps asking these people questions about his cock, because he wants to know before he dies. We didn't mention that. he just can't figure it out himself. Yeah, he's got this thing. He's like, I'm going to die. And he's terrified of death. I can't believe we forgot to mention that. But he's terrified of his own mortality. And there's a scene where he just starts screaming to the heavens that he doesn't want to die. And he admits to his wife that he's terrified of it. But this fear of death crops up in so many of his films. Todd Modo, he's terrified that he's got cancer. And, you know, and it's... I don't know the way he went and some of the content of his films. If you take it as a man and a life and as an auteur, there's so much of Petri in there, obviously his own themes. And I don't, I, I do wonder whether his dad had cancer or something. And it was just, it was obviously something that bothered him. That he thought a lot about. Yeah. yeah. And to then end up going so early, it's tragic. But then to not be celebrated either afterwards. It's, it's just, unfair. No one seems to understand why. Not the people, you know, when people like Franco Nero thought he was like the greatest Italian director of his era. And, you know, all these cult stars that he worked with. So many people that we've brought up and people that just turn up in his films but yet no one talks about him and it's it's shocking. Well, we're going to change that even if we have to start going to people's houses with flyers <laughs> and pamphlets and so, and notices that say do not open. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think before we wrap up we did want to just quickly mention there was one thing cuz I've just said TV. Um he did do something 
for TV. It was like a three-part episode thing with Marcello, um, which was a sort of adaptation of a satra play, Dirty Hands, which um, I've been mispronouncing for years. (laughs) I've been mispronouncing for years. It's a Le Mani Sport, um, which has sort of turned up in those dark corners of the the internet, but unfortunately is not being seeded. So anyone who has that, get in touch, because I've been dying to see it. Uh, Yeah, I... If you're out there, I want my John Maria Volante rosary and I want a copy of Dirty Hands. Yeah, and I want to see Marcello again because it's another Marcello performance. And it's interesting why he didn't go into more TV and I'd love to see it and see what he did with it. But, you know, why he just stopped working and didn't do... Because a lot of directors just went into TV at that time. But he only did that one thing. Which is which is interesting. Well, and I'm sad. guessing he would have done more if if he hadn't passed away. What year was the Manny Sports? Was it in like seventy nine? Seventy eight. Seventy eight. So the same same year, or the year before. Yeah, the year before. Good news. So you know, it's almost like he just gave up, which is really sad. So if you don't want us to set your house on fire or Sam to come round. You know, to huh. preach the joys of Jean Marie Volante with flyers, check out these films immediately. <laughs> all of them. All of them. Cause we of, demand it. And then you'll get to know some of the endings that we couldn't talk about. Which are all glorious and all are going to make you feel pretty miserable. Yeah, but we like to be happy. And Jean Marie Volante. Come on, guys. Yeah, come on, and Marcello. Thanks so much for listening to this last episode in our four-part series on Elio Petri. Tune back in three weeks for the beginning of our next series, inspired by Cathal Tohill and Pete Toombs' seminal book of film criticism, Immoral Tales. I also wanted to mention that Arrow Films have released a Blu-ray box set of Takashi Miike's early crime series, The Black Society Trilogy, to which I contributed an essay on the first film, Shinjuku Triad Society. As of just a few days ago, it's available on Arrow's site. Kat, is there anything you wanted to mention? Well, it seems to be all Arrow-related news this week. Uh, Ironically, because when we recorded this episode a few weeks ago, we weren't aware of this, but they've just announced the restored version of Petri's Property is No Longer a Theft is being released in the spring, which is absolutely brilliant news, and we're just really excited about that and to see how it looks. and More Arrow, a project that I worked on, I did the booklet essay, or one of the booklet essays for, is uh, Mario Bava and Ricardo Freda's Cal Tiki the Immortal Monster is coming to Blu-ray as well. Um, I think that's released on the 10th or 11th of April in the UK. Um, and a final note is to check out the pre-orders for Diabolique magazine's print edition, which is coming out in March. Once again, thanks for listening, and please let us know what you think over on Facebook or iTunes.